Well, if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, as we continue this Lord's Day to study through uh, the book of Galatians together. As we've been looking at it so far, we've seen how uh, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Galatia. It's a place where he had traveled and planted a church there. And after planting that church, there was a group that had come in and were teaching a false gospel. Uh, These were the Judaizers. They were people who were Jewish Christians. They had come to faith in Christ, but as they were speaking now to the Galatians who were Gentile Christians, uh, they were teaching them a, a false gospel. They distorted the gospel of grace that Paul had taught to them because they were teaching them that in essence, in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. You had to observe all these regulations of the old covenant. And so uh, there was much that was getting confused about the gospel of grace. And so Paul is writing to correct these issues. We talked last Lord's Day about how Paul was admonishing them not to be people pleasers, but to be servants of Christ. And now Paul is going to move into sharing his own personal testimony about how he came to faith in the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to spend a few weeks looking at that testimony today. We're just going to really look at the introduction to it, where Paul makes it very clear uh, that he had responded to to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to man's gospel. And we'll talk about the distinctions between those two as we look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. So out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read these verses for us this Lord's Day. This is what the Holy Spirit says to us through the Apostle Paul. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have given us your revealed word We thank you for the full counsel of the word this morning. We thank you that that, that we have this scripture in front of us that we might learn from it, be corrected by it, grow from it, be sanctified through it. So Lord, we pray that you would bring us to repentance and faith through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word proclaimed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As Matt mentioned at the beginning of our service, One of our teams will be leaving to go to Poland on Wednesday, and so we're going to end our service today by praying for those that are here that are a part of that team. Uh, We do consistently ask that you continue to pray for our partnership in Poland. We continue to send teams there, continue to see the fruit of that ministry there. Uh, I've had the opportunity to go a number of times. I'm looking forward to going uh, this fall. I'll be there in October doing some teaching and training and and preaching. I believe it was about three years ago was the last time I was there, and And one of the things I had the opportunity to do on that trip was to see a little bit of some other cities there in Poland. And so uh, we were able to go for an afternoon to a city uh, just a a couple hours away of Turan. And there in the city of Turan, there were all types of things to see. But one thing that stood out to me was there was a a statue, a monument in the city uh, attributed to Nicholas Copernicus. Now, some of you are familiar with that name because of Nicholas Copernicus's role in astronomy. Uh, He's the one who discovered... Uh, that the the planets rotate around the sun. Uh, Up until his day, he was in the mid-1500s, everyone believed at that time, kind of like there was a day when people believed the earth was flat, well, in that day, everyone believed and was taught uh, that the earth was the center of all things. And so the sun and all the planets rotated around the earth, and so 
Uh, Copernicus was an astronomer, and, and as he began to study, he came up with this scientific theory, now we know it's scientific truth, that, that it wasn't the earth that was at the center, but it was the sun that was at the center. Now, to us today, that may just sound like you know, trivial scientific truth, but in, in his day, it was a pretty big deal. Because when Copernicus released his finding and his theory, it was not embraced by all. In fact, the Catholic Church of the day called him a heretic. Even the great reformer Martin Luther rejected his theory. Now, one of Luther's disciples wrote this about Copernicus. Now, this fool wants to turn the whole art of astronomy upside down. See, the problem in Copernicus's day was that the tradition that people had grown up under, the tradition of what they had been taught, was held at a higher value than this new truth, this new evidence. And that's not just a problem in his day, that's a problem in our day. Many times, the way we're brought up, what we think about something, the way we're taught about something, we, we kind of hold it up on, on, on such a, a place that when new evidence is presented or a new truth is presented, sometimes we ignore that truth because of the tradition. It's not that traditions aren't important. Many traditions are. But we have to make sure that our traditions are founded in truth. And just like in the 1500s, how the people needed this Copernican revolution to understand the, the solar system, we, we need a Copernican revolution in the church today. And many of us have grown up in a religious tradition of some sorts where most of what we believe today is more informed by that tradition and what we were handed down and what others told us to believe than by what the very Word of God says. Now, hopefully, the tradition we were brought up in was based on the Word of God. But here, there can be a slippery slope. Because sometimes what starts out as being founded in the Scripture can gravitate easily over towards man's opinions and man's thoughts and People have a way of twisting and turning and, and avoiding some parts of the Bible they don't want to talk about and talk about some parts they want to, but twisting them around to meet their own needs. And before you know it, we, we begin to align with more of a traditional gospel of man than the truth of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's the issue going on here in the book of Galatians. Now, the church was new. That this was in the early church. They'd just been given the gospel of Jesus. They've responded to the gospel of Jesus. But there's still a lot of tradition floating around in the early church. And it was the Jewish tradition. Traditionally, the Jewish people had been taught that they were the special people of God. They had a unique relationship with God. The Gentiles were outside of the family of God. The Jewish people were inside the family of God. And because they have been growing up with this tradition, when the gospel comes, when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, when now the gospels there are available for all people and Gentiles are coming to faith and Jews are coming to faith, there's some confusion. Because these Jewish Christians are bringing with them all their traditions and they're looking towards these Gentile Christians saying, listen, you, you need to respect and honor all these things that, that we do. But here's the problem. Some of their traditions weren't based in the scripture. Some of their traditions perhaps started that way, but they have been added to it in such a way that they were now distorting the gospel of truth. And so the people in their day needed to have that same type of, of change that happened with Copernicus where they reevaluated and saw, listen, we, we need to focus on the biblical truth here and base our traditions on that truth. And friends, we need to do that same thing today. I've already mentioned in the study of Galatians that one of my prayers and hopes for us as a church is that we would rightly separate that which is gospel and that which is not. That, that we would be willing to, 
to, to, to put aside some things as we go through the scripture to see what, what is the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and are we holding fast to that? My fear for us in so many churches today that there are many of us who've grown up in this Baptist tradition and, and it is a great one, I believe, but sometimes we hold tighter to tradition than we do to the truth of the scripture. Sometimes we trust more in what the preacher says than going to, the God, to God's word to see well, what does God's word say to us. And so I want us to consider these things as we process through these two verses this morning. I want to start with a couple of questions and then end with an application slash warning from those questions. So we'll start with number one there in your notes. The question is this, as you consider your testimony, we're about to study Paul's, as you consider yours, did you receive a gospel of biblical truth or of religious tradition? Did you receive a gospel of biblical truth or religious tradition? Again, in the context here, Paul is writing to a group of people who are being heavily influenced by religious tradition to the point that it is now taking away from the gospel of grace that they've been taught that Paul proclaimed to them. And so this question is a very fitting one because I think it's a question essentially Paul is giving to the people in front of him and I think his answer to it is very clear. He has responded to the gospel of grace. Now he's responded to the gospel of biblical truth. He says in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers. In the Greek, essentially, he is saying emphatically, how we might say, let me be perfectly clear here. Paul wants to make sure there's no confusion on this issue. Now, he is defending his apostolic authority. He's making sure the Galatians know that despite what the Judaizers have told them, he is, in fact, an apostle. He is, in fact, speaking on behalf of this revelation he's received from Jesus Christ. And he wants to make it really clear what that gospel is. That's a gospel rooted in that revelation, that it is not, he says, man's gospel. He says it this way, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Now, th this might be a bit confusing for some of us this morning, because we, we hear that phrase, it wasn't man's gospel, I didn't receive it from man. And you think about your own personal testimony, chances are a, a person <laughs> shared the gospel with you. I, I remember very clearly my freshman year of college at North Carolina State University, uh, a man named Shane uh, came by my door one day. He was uh, a campus minister on campus. I'd filled out a survey while waiting in line for dinner one night, and on that survey had indicated that I'd be interested in talking more about spiritual things. God was already doing some things in my life. And, and this man, <laughs> Shane, came down my door of my dorm room, and he sat down with my roommate and I, and he went through the gospel. You know, men are the means by which God shares the gospel. Men, women, children, we share the gospel with other people. So it can be confusing when we come to passages like this, say, well, man's gospel. I mean, we, we, we receive the gospel via people. But, but Paul's not saying that when he's saying man's gospel. And Paul here, I believe, specifically is addressing again this issue of the Judaizers, the, these Jewish Christians. And the Judaizers for the most part, had formed what they believed based on religious tradition that was handed down to them by other Jewish believers. Now, what they believed began as something rooted in the Scripture. But over time, it got distorted. We saw this already when we studied the book of Exodus, how God gave His law to His people who were already saved to teach them how to live. But as the generations went on, they began to look to the law and think, well, the law is what will save us. In fact, that's an issue of confusion here in the book of Galatians. 
And so these Judaizers, their theology, their moral standards, their ceremonies, that they were rooted initially in God's word in the Old Testament, but, but those truths had been diluted and distorted by human interpretations over the years. And they were holding tighter to those interpretations than they were to the very word. You might think of it this way. How many people do you imagine go to church on a week-to-week basis, maybe a month-to-month basis, maybe you know Easter, Christmas, but they go to church and they hear the sermon and they go home and they come back the next time and they hear the sermon and they go home and they come back the next time they hear the sermon, but they never actually open up God's Word. That person is completely relying on the pastor, the preacher's interpretation of the Bible. And that person, then, is prone to follow a false teaching. See, if I get up here this morning and I read to you Galatians 1, 11 through 12, I can take it and I can start to twist it a bit and tweak it a bit in a way that I start to preach a false gospel. And if you don't know what the real gospel is, then you may fall prey to that false gospel. Now that's what's taking place in Galatia. Paul had presented the biblical truth. People came to it and they're kind of adding some stuff and taking some stuff away. And because they weren't grounded enough in what it was, they were beginning to fall victim to a false gospel. And that happens all the time in churches today. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard on TV, seen, read in a news article, a newspaper, someone who professes to be a Christian and just says nonsense about the Bible. Says crazy stuff. The number of times I've I've just glanced by and thought, that's not Scripture. It's not what the Bible teaches. And yet there's somebody sitting there, sometimes they're bestsellers, (laughs) And they're writing books that, well, this is what God says, well, this is what the Bible says, this is is my interpretation. And people just run with it because it tickles their ears. Because it makes them feel good. Listen, I, I know the craft. I know what I could say this morning to please you, to make you happy, to, to make you, I, I'm a pretty funny guy. If you only hear me preach, you might not realize it, but I, I like to tell jokes and I could just warm up the crowd, get mad up here. He could throw out a few, you know, get you loosened up. And we could just keep it rolling. Everybody leave with a grin and a smile, you know. Come to my church. My pastor's so funny. He always. If I was the comedian of Bloomfield Baptist Church, that's what I'd do. Maybe some of you think that is what I am. But But see, my, my job, my calling is to present the truth of God's word to you in such a way that I press in and lead you in you opening up the Word for yourself. Not telling you. Not calling you. I'm not pleading with you to just take what I say and run with it. I am begging you each and every Lord's Day, open this up. And I'm warning you, friends, if you don't, you won't realize when you do exactly what the Galatians did and you start to believe a false gospel and false teaching. And before you know it, you will be more rooted 
and a very worldly version of cultural Christianity than whatever it is the Bible says. We've got to be rooted in the Word. That's what it means to receive a gospel of biblical truth. But for so many of us, we've received just a gospel of religious tradition. We believe what we believe because somebody told us to believe it. It's like the old story, I think I've mentioned it before, about the family, they're getting ready for the holidays, and husband and wife's first, uh, first Christmas there, and he gets out the ham, and he starts to cut the ends off the ham, and she's like, why are you cutting the ends off the ham? Well, because that's how mama always did it. Calls up mama, mama, why'd you call, cut the ends off the ham? Well, that's the way my mama did it. Going up the line and get to grandma, and grandma says, because we had a small pan, that's why I did it. <laughs> had to fit the ham in the pan, cut the ends off of it. But some of it, we, we, we just do it because that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we were taught. Listen again. You want to cut the ends off the ham? That's great. Invite me over. I like ham. It's okay. But when it comes to the scripture and it comes to our faith, know why you believe what you believe. Because if you don't know why, then you don't really believe it. But for so many of us, that's our faith. It's based on what someone else told us. And here's the, the thing. That there's a lost and confused world out there. And what they believe, what this unbelieving world, what so many of them believe, is that this is just a book that people made up. That the Bible is full of people's words. That it's been changed over the years, time and time again, over and over again. I remember years ago, 23 years ago to be exact, because it was right before we got married, but Sandy and I had started our ministry with uh, Campus Crusade, and we had gone out to Colorado for some training, and we were taking a seminary class, and one of the assignments was to talk to people of different faith traditions and ask them questions about the Bible and belief, and so uh, we were in Fort Collins, Colorado. We went down to Boulder, Colorado. If you've ever been to Boulder, Colorado, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful place, but spiritually, it is a dark place. And we're walking down this, this main street, and, and from a material perspective, there's affluence, there's stores, there's all this stuff going on. But then you just start looking, and there's all these little uh, shops that you can get your fortune read at, and, and, and people can read these, these cards for you, and they can tell you all about your life, and psychics, and seers. And I sat down with one of them and just started asking questions, talking to her, and I asked her what her opinion of the Bible was, and all her eyes lit up. She said, let me tell you a thing or two about the Bible. I thought, well, here we go. She told me a thing or two or three or four or five. or seven. I mean, she just kept going. She told me how, you know, the Bible was man's words and how while there might have been some inspiration in the beginning, it had been changed so much. Nobody knows what it originally said. We don't have any original copies of original languages because what the Bible, what happened with it was every time there was a new king of a new nation, especially in Israel, one of their, their things they would do as they were inaugurated as a king is they would sit down with the Bible and they'd just go through it and they'd change a bunch of stuff. And she went through this whole elaborate history of how the Bible had been changed over and over and over again and we had no idea what it originally started out as saying. How, how do you respond to that? I'll tell you how you don't respond to it. Well, what I was taught, well, what I feel, well, what I think, friends, the only way we can respond to that is to say, let me tell you what the Word of God says about itself. 
I mean, I did go through some history with her, and I went through some language with her, and I, I was able to point her, her towards some things and say, well, here are original manuscripts, and we talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls and all those things. But, but her issue was not that she needed to understand more history. Her issue was that her soul had been darkened by the prince of this world who wants to deceive and wants to steal and wants to distort, and, and she had not had someone open up the word and just share with her the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. Can you do that? I mean, if someone asks you why you believe what you believe, are you prone to say, well, because I've always believed it, because I was taught it? Or can you say, well, let me tell you what I believe in the Scripture, what the Scripture says. This is what I believe, because this is what the Bible says. See, that's what it means to receive a gospel of biblical truth. It means we know verses like Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know verses like Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And verses like Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.9 and 10 that if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It means we have a, a framework of the scripture. We understand that the, the fall and sin and how God promises in Genesis 3.15 that a redeemer is going to come. And that the whole Bible tells the story of that Redeemer. And then the Gospels show us the glory of the Messiah when he comes. His perfect life, his perfect ministry, his death and his resurrection. It means we understand that Revelation, friends, is a lot more about just understanding the glory of God and a new heaven and a new earth than it is about trying to lay out prophecy charts and pick times and dates and signs means we have a framework of the whole thing because we've received a gospel of biblical truth. If that's not the gospel we have received, then that's not a gospel we can articulate very well. See, the gospel you preach is the one you receive. The one you receive is the one you preach, which brings us to the second question in your outline there. Do you preach then a gospel of biblical conviction or of personal persuasion? Paul's gospel here was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was one of biblical conviction. There in verse 12 again he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul will go on to tell the story and we'll look at his testimony about how he was on his way to persecute Christians, to put an end to the church. And there he has this revelation from Jesus and the gospel is clear to him. Now I've heard people say, I've mentioned this before and they're, Talking about testimonies, like, well, I don't, you know, you know, I don't have a testimony like Paul's. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they said they had one like Paul's, I'd be like, really? Really? Guess who has a testimony like Paul? Go ahead, answer. Paul! There you go. And not anybody named Paul. <laughs> Just the Apostle Paul. Because see, how God did this was he, he revealed himself in that miraculous display to the Apostle Paul. And then he uses Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit to write down all these things that would then be canonized as Scripture. And now we have something better. We have the full canonization of God's Word. We have the full testimony of it. We have the counsel of it. We don't need to pray, God, show me a sign. Do a wonder. He has given it to us. Why would we neglect such a gift? This is the truth that we were saved through. This is the truth we must proclaim. 
And when we understand it, when we read it, when we study it, then it makes very clear these issues that the Galatians were so confused about. Again, the Judaizers had come to them and said, okay, listen, yeah, gospel of grace, that's good, but you need to add works to it. But what we see is when you add works to grace, you lose grace. When, when you add anything to the gospel of Christ, you lose the gospel of Christ. This is not adding a layer onto a cake. This is rotting out the whole thing. That's what they're doing here. But if our belief, if our gospel is not firmly rooted in the scripture, then all we are left with is our thoughts and our opinions. Our personal persuasions. Things we feel very strongly about, very passionate about. And that's where we have another slippery slope. Because what can happen when we're not rooted in the gospel of the scripture and we're rooted more in what we feel, what we think, what our persuasions are, then the gospel we then start to proclaim is a lot more about what we think, what we feel, what we're passionate about than what the scripture actually says. And then the gospel itself gets very confused sometimes. And so again, the question, do you preach a gospel of biblical conviction or personal persuasion? Let me give you examples of what this means. So a gospel of biblical conviction what is a biblical conviction this is real easy it's a conviction based on what do you think the bible there you go biblical conviction it is a conviction we have based on what the scripture teaches i'll share with you with you a conviction i have i hope it's one that every christ follower here has i believe i am convicted that jesus is the only way to god I realize we live in a very pluralistic age when there are many people who will say they follow Jesus and they will follow that statement with, but you know, you know, there's other, you know, as long as somebody's real sincere about their faith, I think, I think they'll be okay. My biblical conviction is that it doesn't matter how sincere you are about a lie, it's a lie. My biblical conviction is that Jesus is the only way to God. And you know why I have that biblical conviction? Because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is not my opinion. That is not my persuasion. That's not something I came up with. That's not something some new king, when he came into his kingdom, wrote in the Bible. That's what Jesus Christ said of himself. And therefore, if we are going to follow him, we must believe it. And it is an uncomfortable truth. Because that means that no matter how devout or sincere, no matter how neighborly, no matter how kind, no matter how well they treat you, no matter how gracious they are towards you, if someone is holding on to a faith outside of the exclusive call of Jesus Christ to repent and to trust in Him as Lord and Lord of all, anything outside of that means they are damned. And they will spend eternity under the wrath of God. That is not a comfortable thing to say. That's not something I would ever just come up with. <laughs> if I'm writing my own religion, friends, we'll go much towards the let's just make everybody feel good about themselves. But when we have a gospel rooted in biblical conviction, our convictions must be rooted in what the scripture teaches. And if we don't know what the scripture teaches, then we're left with a gospel of personal persuasion. So what does that look like? 
Well, personal persuasions are how I feel. They're how you feel. They're what our opinions are. Now, how you feel, how I feel, what our opinions are, I'm not saying those aren't important things. We can have really strong beliefs about a lot of things, but we need to be really careful that we don't confuse those things with the gospel. There are a lot of things that the scripture talks about that we develop persuasions eventually from based on a biblical conviction. Things where you can share the same biblical conviction with someone and have different persuasions. Politics. Politically, you can have different thoughts, opinions, persuasions while adhering to the same biblical conviction. What does the scripture say about government? Romans chapter 13 speaks very clearly. It says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So every Christian should have the same biblical conviction that God has established government for a purpose. And that we are to, as the scripture says, be subject to governing authorities. Now what does that mean? Well, you unpack that with the rest of scripture. Does that mean that there's ever any role for civil disobedience? Well, look to Exodus. <laughs> there in Exodus, you've got a situation where the governing authorities say to the followers of God, hey, you need to take all your babies and throw them in the river. That's what we are telling you as your government. We have civil disobedience there. You have those who look at that and say, we're, we're not doing that. And God honors them and counts them as blessed. So there's a lot of nuance to this, a lot of things we unpack. But we cannot, as Christians, go, well, I don't have anything to do with the government. I don't care about the government. No, the scripture tells us here we need to be subject to it. It tells us we need to pray for those in authority. Not just the ones we voted for. <laughs> See, that's where the persuasion part comes in. We can feel very strongly about a political party, about a political candidate. We can have that persuasion. We can talk about that persuasion. We can have conversations. We can try to convince others. But let's not confuse it with the gospel. And when we're not rooted in the scripture, friends, that's exactly what we do. Whether it's politics or a whole number of other things. Consider these questions. Are you known more for being a follower of Jesus Christ? Or a supporter of a particular political party or politician? Are you known more for the sin you speak out against? Or the people you speak out against? I'll get a little... You know, get off of politics for a second. The sports teams you speak out against. <laughs> well, what are you known for? What are you evangelistic about? Listen, we can be evangelistic about all types of things, but let's be real careful here and keep the gospel the gospel, and the gospel is primary. And the gospel is foundational. And you and I only have so many words that are going to come out of our mouths. And if we are saturated with being evangelistic about those things which have nothing to do with the gospel, then we are telling a lost and dying world that's what's most significant. What are you most evangelistic about? Here's the warning. Point three. Religious traditions and personal persuasions often distort and diminish the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our religious traditions, our personal persuasions, these things that aren't 
rooted in the scripture. They often have a way of distorting and diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, the the charge here from Paul to the Judaizers was, verse 7, they wanted to distort the gospel of Christ. That that word distort means they wanted to turn it into something that was the opposite of what it was. And so they're distorting the gospel by saying, well, you can have grace, but you have to add works. Again, if you add works to grace, you lose grace. And friends, that works with all of these things. Anything we add to the gospel takes away from the gospel and minimizes and diminishes and distorts the gospel. The law is added to grace. You lose grace. There's works added to salvation. You lose salvation. When you add religious tradition or personal persuasion to the gospel, you lose the gospel and you're left with your persuasions and your traditions. And so, if you have strong opinions about some of these things, whether it's sports teams or politics, have strong opinions. Listen, don't confuse kingdoms. Don't confuse what is the gospel and what is not. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of God. It does not mean we ignore the nation we live in. Again, Romans 13, we're subject to governing authorities. The scripture says we're to pray for those authorities. We're going to have opportunity this week as Americans to to celebrate the independence of our nation. I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful, I'd say, more than proud. I'm thankful. That God allowed me to be born in a place where I can freely preach the gospel. Listen, friends, I've been to places in the world where this would not happen. I've been to places in the world where I had to sneak into a a building underground and and secretly preach to a group of Christians who were from another nation. And if anybody found out we were there, I just would have been sent home on a plane. They could have lost their lives. I thank God that I don't kiss my kids goodbye on Sunday morning not knowing if I'm going to see them again. Because somebody might just come in here and take me out for preaching the gospel to you. I am thankful for those things. It is so important that we recognize as Christians that kingdoms of this earth will rise and fall, but the kingdom of Christ will stand for eternity. And that is to be our primary allegiance. We need to thank God that he has allowed us to be members of that kingdom. They, they tried to confuse this so often in the scripture. Certainly in the day of Jesus, there were people who wanted Jesus to be a, a political leader, to have a political revolution. There were people who wanted to, to kind of catch him and leaning that way. There were questions that were thrown at him by the Pharisees where they were trying to trick him. And what did he say? He had clear opportunities to preach on these things. What did he say? Give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the gospel, the gospel. Preach Christ and his kingdom, because in the end, it is the only kingdom that will stand. And so I want to encourage you this week, as we come to this celebration of our independence on July 4th, it's that day that marks the the independence that was declared by the American colonies in 1776. That, that declaration that we would now be a new nation, no longer a part of the British Empire. I want you to celebrate as an American the, 
recognize the independence that came through the blood of thousands of soldiers, that their blood freed our nation. As an American, I'm thankful for that sacrifice. I think we should all recognize it and be thankful for it. But, but hear this. As a Christian, that should remind us of a greater sacrifice and a greater freedom. I'm an American because thousands upon thousands of soldiers poured out their blood. I'm a Christian because one poured out his. Truly God, truly man. The one perfect Messiah that from the foundation of the world God promised would come. He went to that cross and he died in my place and in yours. I am thankful to live in a land where I have freedoms. But those freedoms remind me ultimately of a greater freedom I have in Jesus Christ. And friend, I can think of no greater tragedy than for some of us here this morning who've grown up and been a part of a tradition to stand on Wednesday and to celebrate the freedom we have because of the blood of many and yet refuse to accept the freedom we can have through the blood of one. We have freedoms as citizens, but those freedoms will ultimately end when this land ends or when our lives end. We can have a freedom in Christ that is eternal. And that freedom doesn't come through works. It doesn't come through our merit. It doesn't come through our religious tradition. It doesn't become, come through our, our parents' beliefs. It comes through each one of us recognizing that we are indeed sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of our sin is death, and that God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It comes through confessing Jesus as our Lord and believing in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. And it culminates in us having a freedom greater than anything any nation of this world can offer us. A freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, through His blood, and through being made citizens of His kingdom. And so my prayer for us this morning is that if there's any here who's yet to experience that freedom, that, that God would do a work through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you might know it, that we might all celebrate it, and that we all might remember that we exist every day that the Lord gives us breath for His glory and His glory alone. So friends, let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship and offer a time of response. Father, we, we thank you that we can freely assemble today, that we can freely worship today, that we can practice our faith today because of the blood of many who have bought these freedoms we have as a nation. But Lord, we, we can do all those things and completely... <laughs> forget, ignore, misunderstand that, that as followers of Christ we can have true freedom because of the blood of one. And so Lord, just as Paul pleaded with the Galatians that they return to the gospel, the true gospel, Lord, I, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work pleading with us in this room this morning that, that we would hold to the true gospel. Nobody in this room is going to stand before you one day and plead their case and argue their case based on how good they were. 
The Scripture tells us we have an advocate. And He is Christ Jesus. And He is the one who pleads our case. And His blood is what covers us and makes us new and makes us righteous. Father, if we are holding on to anything else, would You do whatever it takes to bring us to repentance and faith? We ask this in Christ's name and for Your glory. Amen.